giant of limitless power at man's command. And where was it science found that giant? In the atom, a particle so infinitely small that it takes over a hundred billion billion atoms to make up the head of a pin. This is Out of the Basement, a podcast dedicated to radiation medicine. This is Dr. Jason Vector coming at you from the spooky Vermont mountains. I say spooky because I have thought it was Halloween since a month ago, and I'm just bad with time, but I also just love the fall. And I am in spooky Vermont and not in sunny San Diego like the rest of my compatriots. Although from the pictures on the internet, is it raining? I don't know. And then also... I'm recording this in a way that I'm speaking. Whoever is listening to this is here with me now, and that is simply not true. By definition, if you're listening to this, it is the future for me. Why do I do this? I'm a weird kid. So I had forgotten about the Aero survey, which I feel really weird about because I used to really be zoned in on this. But for those who don't know, Aero is amazing. Aero is the resident arm of Astro. And as far as I recall, was founded by our tip of the spear, Daniel Flynn, back in the 80s. Tip of the spear for many reasons, but he has one of my favorite papers on the job market. And they do, they're really my favorite sort of part arm subset of Astro by far. And I also say that because I'm not, I never am critiquing Arrow with this. They're just, just, they're the best. No one. I will fight anyone who says otherwise. But anyway, I forgot that they did this. That's, that's weirds me out. So I just saw this pop up on Twitter. And it is fascinating because it really beautifully shows COVID to a degree I hadn't seen previously. And we'll kind of, that's the whole point of this episode is to talk about what that means. And mostly radiation oncology, we just can't get out of our own way. So we have essentially a white swan event again, where spoiler alert, I actually do think the job market in this moment is not that bad. It's actually pretty good, which is not to say that I think that we're going in the right direction or that I would encourage medical students to go down this path because there's a difference between climate and weather. And similar to there are still snowstorms when the, oh, I don't really call it global warming anymore now, it's climate change, but it always strikes me as silly when people will get confused about climate and weather and that you can have periods of good, it's battle and war, however you want. There's a lot of metaphors, we won't get into it. And I think this, the one thing that really just resonated with me was the slide detailing the job market was tough this year. Now, I was the infamous class of 2020, which, or was I 2020? Oh, wow. No, I take that back, 2021. Wow. See, I also forget how old I am. No one warned you about this. I, I had to memorize all these p-values for boards, and I don't remember how old I am, what year I graduated from anything. I also went to school for a long, long time. doesn't matter. The, the reason I, I bring that up is that I wrote out, I hit all major milestones at the worst possible time with the pandemic, meaning when the pandemic started to become a thing, I was just about to enter my PGY five-year, my final year. So I was a Holman resident. I was in research period at the time, the lab shut down. So that kind of derailed all of my work. So basically, and, and I was doing animal work, so that was 
not not very good if you couldn't go into the lab. First part was derailed my entire sort of research stuff. Second part was boards. So I was supposed to take red biophysics in the summer. There was the old, for many years, it was done a certain way. And the pandemic delayed that in an uncertain way. So I had been starting to really study for red biophysics. And then all this uncertainty. And then it got delayed. And then all these hiring freezes started to shut down. Back when I was doing it, and maybe, I don't know, back when I was in residency, many of us would start the real hardcore job search in the middle of the of PGY-4. And of course, that was when the pandemic hit and all these hiring freezes came out and all these horror stories about pulled contracts or delayed contracts. And, and of course, Radonk at the time was really at the feeling the real pinch of the expansion. And so there was a lot of anxiety around route jobs at baseline and then add that on top of it. Not good. So then the summer comes and they start making their way back into the clinic still around uncertainty of boards. I ended up taking the four board exams in rapid succession while in clinic full-time. Again, don't, didn't love that. Was it four? Yeah, rad biophysics. Oh, no, sorry, three. The fourth one was when I was at attending. Yeah, yeah. Because I took rad biophysics in December and then clinical in the spring of 2021. And so looking at this job market was tough this year's slide. 70% of my class said strongly agree. Oh, yeah. It was, I cold called cold emailed, whatever, reached out to 70, 75 places. Now, this is what always drives me nuts when people talk about interviews and whatnot. I don't know what people, there's no formal definition. No one tells you this. So when you hear all these people talk about, oh, I had 10, 20, 30 interviews, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not like residency where you have an official application system, you get invited. It's very easy to count residency interviews. It is, no such thing exists for jobs. So if you've ever heard anyone talking about interviews they got for jobs or ask them what in the world they mean because there's no definition so for me and I kept a spreadsheet about this it was yeah 60 70 and I don't even know cold calls emails t- discussions snail mail just kidding I didn't do any snail mail basically culminated in a single on-site interview to the job I ultimately took and that is very different I mean that the Radonk job market is infamously bad but that was extraordinarily bad and a lot of my friends had similarly brutal times. And then you can see this in this arrow data. So we went from 70% strongly agreeing or agreeing with the job market was tough down to 30, or sorry, 25 it appears. Sorry, a little blurry. And then now it's all the way down to 15.9%. Now I would hazard a guess. I haven't gone back and tried to find this out. I would assume that this year's was the lowest agreement with this statement maybe ever, but in a long time. And this certainly reflects with my personal experience with the job market and those of my friends as well. And the question is why and what changed? And is it something that we can hang our hats on? And it's very reminiscent to me of what happened at the turn of the millennia, at the, around 2000. So to, to recap with this guy's always falling in radiation oncology, there's the same concern 30 years ago or starting in the 80s, there was concern about oversupply. That was, again, Daniel Flynn, very relevant for this with Arrow, but... So there's concern about oversupply, and in contrast to these days, there's a concerted effort back then to shrink things down. So training was elongated by a year officially, programs were cut, spots were cut. It was like everyone was gearing up for a long, cold winter, and it hit its nadir. It, it's, it, it's bottomed out at about the late 90s, early 2000s, and miraculously, IMRT was invented, and there's a huge influx of 
reimbursement, which artificially saved the specialty to now our own detriment, where really it was just like, if you wake up and you have a hangover and you decide to drink a couple of beers and yeah, your hangover goes away for the moment, but man, it's not a, that's not a good plan. So that's what we did back then. And the reimbursement from IRRT and technology let us limp along and then that also triggered the expansion. So even before limp along and for future conversations and things, it, there's, we always talk about this supply demand of a job market of attending physicians and patients being treated by attending physicians. Part of this is also the third economy or the, the kind of hidden economy of residence where the resident workforce is, drives a lot of how this country operates. And it's starting to be talked about more, I see, because this isn't unique to radiation oncology, obviously, but resident physicians are incredibly valuable to large hospital systems. And, and if you've, they've ever said that residents cost money and they don't, no, it's not, no, residents do not cost money. Maybe the very first couple months, but the system runs on resident labor for the most part. And this just goes hand in hand with consolidation and all those other things for going to that another time. But so we were really heading into a real tight squeeze when COVID happened. And this is part of my issue with the recently published workforce study by Astro through, or I guess by HMA consultants through Astro. And while the modeling and the math was good of the actual model, and that's, again, this drives me nuts about this particular point too, the actual technical details of the, the model, it's actually pretty strong. It's the underlying assumptions that drive me up a wall and, and what I'm literally on record in the Red Journal letter to the editor talking about where they made assumptions for the radiation oncology workforce when we have hard data for that. Now, there is conflicting data, but they didn't look at any of it. They made their own stuff and referenced zero available data, either through other publications or through AAMC or through the government's, there's health quality research stuff. There's other things out there that they could have looked at and they didn't. And that's one of the biggest sins of that project. And where am I going with all this? The Aero survey for 2023 really reflects the double AMC numbers, which is what I wish that the workforce modeling had used. And so if you look, the HMA Astro workforce study that came out assumes a linear growth of radiation oncologists steady over time. Now we know that didn't happen either because we know, and this is a limitation of all work, unfortunately for now, is that the world changed with the pandemic but there's a lag in the data. If we want to do large database studies, by definition, it's it's at this moment really going to be messed up because the most stable data is from the pre-COVID world. We're now finally coming out of it, but anything over the past three years is going to be really irreproducible. Like I, I would have a lot of trouble trusting or believing, or basically wouldn't, any data that uses trends from the past three years to predict the future. Hopefully nothing from the last three years predicts the future. That'd be, that'd be tough mentally to deal with. But so it really messes with these sorts of projections in terms of the accuracy and precision. I just to really acknowledge that this is an impossible task. And honestly, full disclosure, I'm having a hard time even imagining what I would predict medicine to look like in 10 years. I don't know anymore. And anyone who tells you that they're certain is trying to sell you something. Really, wink, go read the Astro newsletters. I am not certain. I could be totally wrong. I don't know. And it's impossible to know. I think 
my opinion on the climate and weather and that there is a general oversupply, even though we're in a summertime now, is just taking everything in aggregate and looking at, this is my investment thesis. What are my underlying assumptions versus what are some other underlying assumptions? In the workforce task force here, you have a linear sort of growth from 2015, where you're starting with 4,424 radiation oncologists, and it just goes up. So 2018, it's 4,649. 2019, it goes up about 50 to 4,691. 2020, it goes up uh, a little bit less than 50, so it goes to 4,718. And then that's where their their own internal thing falls apart. They don't have anything, so they project in 2025 4,909, which is a growth of less than 200 over five years. That's nonsense, basically. And contrast that. So if you look at the AAMC data, so the AAMC every two years puts out a survey, and it's not a survey, but they the AAMC tracks all of us. You can opt out of it. This was a big deal, and I think this is partially how I found about it, because you don't really know that you're enrolled in this. The, the AMA has a master file, and you have to opt out, and then there's being sold for a thing. It's still happening now, just FYI for those who didn't know. But you have to opt out of it, because they track you from... Think about all the official things, centralized things we had to do to, to get here, because you have the initial application of medical schools, then you have the various things within medical schools. You get an MPI... Then there's Eris and getting into residency and then having medical. There's a lot of, we're in a lot of databases, guys, just in case you didn't know that. So there's a master file. Master file is flawed. And that was seen with the pathologists where the master file greatly underestimated their numbers. And that had to do with anatomic versus molecular. Pathology has an interesting sort of classification system. And so the way the master file was reporting them, it's not like they were missing the doctors as it were, but it was how pathology itself was divided and it was not being reported out accurately. So pathology doesn't, that, that particular issue can't be replicated necessarily, generalized, I should say. And that was part of the, my issue with Astor's response to me in the Red Journal. The, I had a letter to the editor that was published finally. I submitted it two days after the workforce study dropped. and It took six months, which is, is still mildly conspiratorial, but I did look back for the last decade, and that is the average for astro letters is six months. I think it was just, there was nothing nefarious. I never really think there's anything nefarious. I think it's just the system going on. But the there's myself, and weirdly only two letters, which is weird, and I know that there was not more received because I talked to the people involved in this. So really, this is a Katie Genovese again, where it's the indifference of, of good people just not saying things. But anyway, whatever, I won't get philosophical again. Myself and another individual submitted letters and Astro's response to me, because I one of the things I said was, hey, AAMC data has vastly different numbers, and they said it was not valid, and then cited a different study. So I have a whole Twitter, no, sorry, I have an old X thing, we're calling it X now on this, where the study they cited was from 20 years ago, and it was about predicting physician retirement. I'm still very perplexed by that response. But so they... Yes, the master file is not good at predicting physician retirement based on self-reported probability of retirement. I agree totally, but in terms of the master file is incredibly that. So it's really interesting. There was a, on that X thread I made, they called, it was in California and they called, so they took the master file and they were looking at retirements, but they cross-checked the master file by individually contacting every single physician in California, it was wild. 
people should go read that paper because that I that is that was awesome. Like that was a heck of a lot of work. So hats off to the twenty-year-old study and the researchers who did it. That was pretty great. But so the master file is generally pretty pretty good. It's, it's pretty good, and that was my whole issue or one of them with the study. The the master file you can find it. There's in it's on the AAMC or yeah AAMC website. So they have total doctors of a specialty. They have clinically active doctors of a specialty. And there's two other candidates. I can't remember, but they break it down because this is points I've made otherwise too. When we're talking about the physician workforce, you can't just assume that, and you do this with the residency data. So what types of jobs are new grads going to get in radiation oncology? They're basically going to be clinical. That's not the only type of job. And yes, the vice chair position does affect the new grad. Why? How do you pay a doctor? If you have a department, we don't sell things. We don't sell widgets. A department makes money through clinical revenue. There are grants, of course, and indirect costs, but the indirect cost usually goes to over... Well, it's a scam anyway, but the stuff that isn't scammy goes to pay overhead costs and the staff and whatnot. But in in the medical system, in any department, a department is essentially a closed loop to a degree that I mean, with a big, like 18 asterisks on that statement. But even a physician in a department who does not see patients still has an effect on the new grad job market because they just draw, they must draw a salary from somewhere and that's from clinical revenue. And that is just generally not considered. So that's a whole other can of worms. But if you look at the AAMC numbers from the AMA master file for radiation oncology, total. In 2015, it was 4,848. In 2017, it was 5,029. So we're going up by just shy of 200. 2015 to 2017 total goes up by 200. In 2019, it was 5,306. So we're going up by about 300. And then in 2021, it only goes up to 5,376, which is only 70. And then if you look at the clinical so in 2015, clinically, primarily clinical radonx was 4,499. In 2017, it goes up to 4,628, which is about 130-ish. In 2019, it goes up to 4,854, which is almost 200, or over 200, I should say. And then in 2021, it only goes up 11 to 4,865. Why is this important? Because one... This is an independent corroborator of the Aero survey results we saw today. So I'm recording this, it's 11.38 my time, but so I'm recording this the day that tweet was made. So again, the Aero survey for 2023 shows that there's a tremendously steep drop. So they actually show the year before COVID. So the year before the pandemic, 2019 through 2020, it says like about 30, sorry, 40%, I'm rounding here. So 40% had a tough job market in 2019-2020, up to 70% in 2020-2021, down to 25% in 2021 and 2022 in today's results, down to about 16% for this year. And that is, obviously, it's a soft call. That is a perception of the job market. But I, I, that has to come from, right, that comes from somewhere. That's not nothing. So the perception of the job market, and I believe I'd have to go back and check that 30 to 40% before the pandemic was pretty stable. So to me, when I see this arrow survey and I see a steep drop off in terms of people perceiving difficulty, and actually, and I reflect on my own experience and that of my friends and colleagues, that I myself change jobs as well. The job market, I've never seen a job market like this. It's great. And 
that is borne out by the survey results, my personal experience. What does that also support? The AAMC numbers. And because you got to remember, there's a five-year lag in the training pipeline. So yes, residency numbers doubled over 20 years, but they didn't do it all at once. It was over time. And so then we didn't start to feel that. So weirdly, right before the pandemic hit, we were finally starting to feel the full force of that expansion of going from 100 to 200 new grads a year. That was only starting to hit at the end of the 20 teens and that in the AAMC data. And then you see in the AAMC data from 2019 to 2021, the huge exit, and that would account for the better job market. So it is stark. Now, the I've been trying to get newer numbers that to get, so I'm accessing those numbers through the AAMC website, which they put out for free, and they do it every two years. So to try to get up to the minute numbers, I've tried various ways. You have to pay for it, basically. And it's very complicated, but I am not willing to have to sit through more sales reps to go through demos for someone to tell me it cost me 20000 a year to look at numbers. I, I ain't doing that. Found a roundabout way through a marketing. Again, they sell your data. So I found a marketing firm that has access to this and allowed me to use it just enough to get a total count. So currently, but it wasn't as granular as the AAMC. So by the most current version of the AMA master file has the total radon count at 5,563. So that means we're back to where we used to for the most part. So we went from 5,376 up to 5,563 and that's total. So that's closer to where we were. So we went from going up like 150 to then 300 to then only 78 and now back to about 200. And this all tracks with kind of the perception. And see, I don't know when the more updated stuff will come up, but I'll take a look at that. Again, arrows results track with what the AAMC is showing. And again, shows us that the HMA Astro Workforce Task Force report, bad. Like again, just is it's so, it's very obvious. You can fight me on that if you want, but it is what it is. And just what, what other things corroborate this? And so you can go, when we're talking about benchmarking, which is a thing like MGMA, everyone's favorite benchmark tool. And my theory from my personal sort of experience and just taking a look around is that the pandemic forced a lot of people to go into retirement. Some, uh, not even early retirement, but we all know radonks who work well into their 80s get get people to retire or burned out. And then there's the great, what it used to be called, not quite quitting, the other one, the great resignation. So people changed jobs. Before the pandemic, radonks were so scared. The, the market was so tough. You didn't see a lot of lateral job movement. There's some reports that and I think, so the most job movement would take place in the first three or four years of, of uh, employment. So only about 40 to 50% of people stay in their first jobs, which is why I laugh when I see these job satisfaction things from Arrow from the non-graduated residents, but that's a whole other thing for another time. You had, but otherwise, radonks were scared, but this, everything changed with the pandemic. And so think about what happened. Think about the timeline. We had the ABR 2018 debacle, which really kicked things off. So there's all this festering sort of discontent. The high failure rates happened. The response happened that really upset a lot of people. That really triggered the plummeting in competitiveness. So we came towards the bottom of the, the barrel of the match. And then COVID happened. And the worst job market, it's the best of times, it was the worst of times. With the freezes and stuff, it was the worst job market ever in an already bad job market. And that got a lot of people vocal. And a lot of people were unhappy. 
and similar to what you saw everywhere across sectors. So then there's things that weren't even unique to us. There's unique things, but a lot of these things are bigger than us. So you saw a lot of job changes, which you saw in every other industry is that people were moving jobs. And that freed up, that shook a lot of things loose in, in radiation oncology. But so you can go through and look at various benchmarking or industry sort of things for MGMA or CHG. And so there was a survey in 2022 that 43% of physicians changed jobs and 8% retired during the pandemic, 3% left medicine to pursue non-clinical careers. Well, how does that compare to normal? So the AAMC has the annual turnover rate for physicians of 6 to 7%. And so the 43% number is over two years. It's still, so we're at least like tripling the normal sort of retirement. Again, this is not specific to RADOC. This is everywhere. So that's CHG. In 2021, MGMA had a different survey out. So they had, they, they usually deal with administrators, but they asked, have you had a doctor retire unexpectedly in the past year? 28% of respondents said yes. So they had, that's, that's pretty big. So almost a third of healthcare practices surveyed had a doctor leave unexpectedly. And then, but we also have to remember the silver tsunami. And so we've always been about to hit a, a huge wave of doctors turning 65. The baby boomers are named that for a reason. And they're all hitting retirement age. And so in the AAMC, almost half of practicing physicians, this is for a 2022 report, almost half were already over the age of 55 in 2021. And the kind of sum total. So the point I am trying to make here is Radonk cannot get out of its own way, but lightning can strike twice. In 20 years ago, the last job market issue, the field was... I hate to use the word saved. I don't like that. There was a, a stay of execution. The governor called and said, hold off. We've got to review some new evidence. Things were not going great in the 90s. Things were cut back. And then IMRT unexpectedly arrived and set off the past 20 years. We saw what happened with the 2013 article of has the pendulum swung too far, questioning the wisdom of expanding so much. And that silenced any sort of discontent, disruption, disagreement for a couple of years. And then the board exams, the 2018 debacle happened and then things crashed again. But now here we are and the job market has again rebounded. So 20 years ago it was unexpected reimbursement. Now it's a worldwide pandemic and a drastic uptick across medicine in retirements or career changes. And the result of that is exactly what we see here which is a better job market for us than we've seen in a long time. The question, the bigger question, the investment thesis is, did anything change that would change my outlook on the market for the future? And the answer is no, because what is the problem here? So the problem is one, we doubled the output of radiation oncologists. Two, we did not increase the use of radiation. I guess that's two through 10. But so over the last 20 years, we've, and it's all been for great reasons, right? For the benefit of society and me and us, because we are people too. The screening programs who came out with low-dose So lung. So this data is out there now from the last year's ASCO is the low-dose CT screening for lung has cut advanced lung cancer diagnosis like 40% 
Think about your top five at most Radoc practices. Four of those top five are usually prostate, breast, lung, head, neck. Head and neck, they haven't really changed much, It's uh, so we'll leave that alone. But of the three other ones, usually in the top five, breast, prostate, lung cancer. You're, to this day, there's no hypofrac for locally advanced lung, for Kimura T lung. So it's 30 fractions usually, unless you're in Boston, it's usually 35. But Lodo CT screening is going to continue to really drop that on us. Now that is balanced somewhat by SBRT and oligomets, which... Is, and again, I'm talking purely from a budget standpoint, not from a societal benefit standpoint. That's, that's quote-unquote good from a, a balanced budget standpoint to have increased SPRT and oligomets, but it's not going to counterbalance totally. It's not going to zero out the hit to stage 3 lung. And then, as we all know, the ever-increasing efforts to eliminate us from breast. So 20 years ago, you had 30 fractions on average for breast. Now it's down to 15 or 16 really big push to five and with everyone's favorite Deborah trial really big push to zero i don't think it's ever going to be zero but wow that's sounded pretty let me go knock on wood here i will be continually giving adjuvant radiotherapy for breast until something compelling tells me not to do that but so you have that for breast or the hypofrac and then prostate now here's the thing with prostate just to because i know i get a lot of residents listening to this they have never shown prostate hypofrac to be anything but non-inferior. So in my personal practice, I'm a generalist. I have, I pretty much never do conventional fractionation for breast. Why? With conventional and hypofract, the outcomes are the same in terms of recurrence risk, but the toxicity has been shown to be better in hypofract. So that's a no-brainer for me. It's same outcomes, better side effects, better side effect profile hypofract. I'm doing hypofract. So I always do hypofract for intact breast. Now, for prostate, the only thing they have ever shown is non-inferiority. They have never compared, to my knowledge, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. I have not, nothing major has come out that I have seen, that I know about, where either 28, you know, 70 and 28 or 60 and 20 compared to 44 or 45 fractions compared to conventional has never been shown to either have better outcomes or a better side effect profile. Now, the one thing it is better on is time, of course, where nine weeks is worse than six weeks, but the outcomes are not any different. They're not non-inferior. And in my experience, I'm not even going to get into this as a whole other thing. I, I think the GU side effects are worse in hypofract, meaning they show up earlier, which can really freak out guys with a lot of anxiety, but that's a whole other theoretical philosophical thing. The ceiling of intensity of side effects is not different. The point being, it's just, I just want to throw that out to the residents to don't ever question your attending. So whatever your attending wants you to do, say yes. Just say yes, I will do that. Save your questions for later. Just get through residency. Don't question your attendings. I know the people who know me are laughing about that, but, but just as a general. So the, we doubled our output of doctors. We significantly reduced our footprint in our major indications. Breast, prostate, lung, huge decrease in our footprint. Simultaneously, massive attacks from CMS to our reimbursement and through bundling or other mechanisms or, or valuations through the ruck of our VUs, our reimbursement just on a raw level are way down. And what is being done to reverse any of this? Nothing is the short answer. Nothing. There's not going to be any meaningful reduction of spots because, again, that economy is the economy of residents and is not really going to change. There's no invisible hand here. There's no canary in the coal mine. There's a silent economy of residents, so we're not cutting spots. That's not going to happen. 
are we going to do more fractions on breast, prostate, or lung? No. Is rocker going to pass? No. No. They're going to keep dragging it out, but it's, it's not going to pass. But that would actually, a case rate, that would be the one thing, the idea, the concept is reasonable in that the patient volumes are going up just because people are staying alive older, longer. And being reimbursed by volume is not a nonsense idea. It is, does have merit. It just is, I've talked about in other things, it's not, this version of it is not ideal. But even if, yeah, even if Rocker passes, there's nothing on the horizon that's going to restore reimbursement to what it was 20 years ago. At best, we can hope for fewer cuts. At best, we could hope for stability in taking death by inflation. But so that's not happening. Indications. I do think benign radiotherapy from what I'm seeing and obviously what I'm involved in, I think that is going to be a pretty big part of the future. My honest and closest prediction is that in 10 years, the, I don't want to say the bulk, but, or the majority, I mean, I I think a a sizable portion of radiotherapy delivered in this country will be for benign indications. That'll be lots of other things down the road about that. But but six fractions of low-dose radiotherapy, of complex isotope radiotherapy for Osteoarthritis, for example, generally is not going to be able to make up for not doing 44 fractions of IMRT. Volume-wise, it's possible, but then you're getting into limits of system constraints of staffing and machines and whatnot. But I, I don't think you can zero out your bottom line with osteoarthritis radiotherapy for what used to be breast, prostate, and lung. And then, so that's really it, is when you look at this aero data, if certain institutions are going to try to spin this. You have to look at why the job market is better in this moment. It is through no no fault of our own. There is no strong hand at the wheel intentionally guiding the specialty towards this currently good job market. It was totally on accident as it was the last time this happened. Now, could that change? Sure. Nothing about anything that's happening right now is permanent. This part, if I thought that was true, I wouldn't do this podcast. I wouldn't do anything about it. I just hum along. I think we can do a lot more than what we usually believe. And which is part of the reason I I try to not make predictions that are set in stone. And I, I want to be wrong about all this. Believe me, I would love if in five years, if at the end of this decade, people pull this episode up or anything I put out said, you idiot, you were so wrong. And I will say, yup. And then we will laugh into the sunset. And that's really the point of all this is prove me wrong. Make this job market not an anomaly, not an accident. Do things to make it permanent. We could start with if certain organizations are proposing legislations to do so more transparently and with more community engagement. And I mean that in like the broader sense, not in a community versus academia, because that world doesn't even exist anymore, but, or really consider adding, expanding indications, meaning osteoarthritis, keloids, dupatrins, those sorts of things. Bring that back. It never really went anywhere in the rest of the world, but here it did. And then be prepared when Johnson and Merck and the orthopedic surgeons come after you, because that's what's going to happen. But that's a future battle. Be realistic with medical students. Be realistic with yourselves. And that's the main theme of all this is I know part of what the resistance to this is, is how closely we tie our work and our choice of specialty to ourselves and our ego and who we are with our identity. And to reevaluate our 
opinion and our perceptions on the job market is in some senses to reevaluate our opinion on ourselves. And you are not your job. You are not defined by this. And that's really what I actually care about. I'm getting real off topic here. But point being, the Aero survey, I think is true in that I do think the job market is a lot better now than it was over the past couple of years, maybe a long time. I think it's because the pandemic forced retirements and career changes, which freed up a lot of spots. I also think patient volumes are up, which is a whole other thing. But because remember, the boomers are booming and living longer, and that that's going to bring more people across our doorstep, even if we're better about the whole cancer thing. And that if we don't change anything, meaning if people don't adopt things like benign radiotherapy or people don't fight, organizations don't fight for better reimbursement or we don't cut spots, which I don't think are going to happen. So I'll just throw it out there. That could happen. But absent those three things, fewer fewer physicians, fewer rat onks, because we're not even talking about, let, let alone talking about AI or virtual supervision or advanced practice providers in the space. There's a whole other things that we're not talking about mm-hmm. that kind of affect the supply side. But uh, we got to throw those in there, there, modulate that in a reasonable manner. Don't I don't want to hear in 20 years another chicken little metaphor from some gray hair chair, although in 20 years I'll be gray haired, so I don't know. But that's the recognize the context and, and where we're at, and it is changeable. And we can make this work as long as we're not on autopilot. Back to out. This has been a Photon Media production. Don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to us. Be well and be mom.